Amen. Small object lesson. You guys are the object. If you weren't here last week, you're not part of the object lesson. <laughs> I started off last week with a little illustration. And it's been bugging me all week, the response. And I tried to figure out why did the response bug me. And I want to use it as a, a lesson for Hope Fellowship. So you learn to become the people you are deep inside. So that you don't do knee-jerk reactions. And when I point this out, and this is not a slap on the wrist, this is a, a teachable moment for all of us. Last week I started off saying, how many people like to drive? Oh yeah, I like to drive. I like to drive. And then I started to share a joy from my heart. <laughs> Something that brought peace and comfort to me as an expression of contentment. I said, I personally love to drive one hand on the wheel, coffee in one hand, sunroof open, beautiful sunny day. To me, that is wonderful. And suddenly, all this chirping started in the congregation. All these, this, but do you know the law? Do you know the law? The law is changing September 1st. Blah, 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 blah. I couldn't understand a single word because so many people were piping into this. And I thought, that's weird. Normally, it'd be fine. But this church is a grace church. And I'll tell you what I mean. Now I'm serious. Here's the lesson. Is this place going to be safe when somebody comes and begins to have a conversation with you and, and shares with you something that you don't believe in? You see something differently. Are you going to suddenly chirp back and say, You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's la la la. Or are you going to be embracing and loving? What if somebody screws up and falls into a, let's call the word sin, that uh, let's say it's publicly really embarrassing because everybody has their private ones. But let's say it gets out of the bag. Are, are they going to be welcomed? Are they going to be loved? Are you going to go, oh, it's terrible. The Bible says in Romans 5, you can't do that. It says in 2 Timothy, this, blah, blah. Or are you going to say, man, I'm so sorry. You're loved. You're valued. Do you get the picture? Okay. I hope so, because all week, and I talked to a couple of people about this, but it really bugged me. I thought it was funny at first, and I went, wait a minute, is that the first reaction in a church where we should know our identity in Christ? Where we're trying to move away from legalistic rules, rules that people try to live by in order to gain God's acceptance and blessing? Or are we going to learn that we are accepted? We are loved. There's nothing we can do to change God's love and acceptance. No behavior can change how he sees us. None. You can't out the grace of God. That doesn't mean you should try. But it doesn't, it, it's honestly, we covered that last week. That, it, hey, if grace is so good, should I then continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he said, no, you idiot. Of course not. Go back to last week's message. It's continuation. So today... I want to continue sharing some of the basics of what we say we believe. And I want you to see it from the scriptures. Not Mike Zenker. I have my lens. Everybody has their lens of how they see things. But I tell you, the last two years, three years, have been so exciting that the stuff that I've held tight, oh, this is what it means. I've had to go like this. And God's opening my hand saying, hey, let me adjust the view and perspective instead of what you've been taught it means. Because there may be other perspectives out there. Went, oh, man. And then he started showing me. Actually, he's been showing me for the last 15 years. 
the unlearning process has been painful. I don't want to be a, a gracialist who has to make sure everybody knows I teach grace or that, no, 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 that's law and you become the cop that makes sure everybody's only seeing grace. Well, now you just became legalistic. We're not to be like that. We're to be the outflow of the love of Christ already in us. And unfortunately, we have a lot of learning to do about his love for us. Some of us are licking our wounds and dealing with shame and pain like you wouldn't believe. And it's taken even longer to believe we really are accepted. We get a sliver of hope and go, wow, that was good. But can it really be that true? And then our, our hope wanes. And, and then we keep being reminded and reminded. And slowly it grows and strengthens until we come to a place of confidence. Wow, I am fully right with my Heavenly Father. Fully right. Fully accepted. And absolutely, completely forgiven. Again, as we discussed last week. So let's take a look momentarily, just at the verses. We're not going to read through any of these because we're going to catch up to where we were last week. The simple gospel. Here's what has happened. Non-negotiable, period. When Jesus died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose, I rose. When he ascended, I ascended. Christ is my life. I live by his faith in me. And I'll show you those verses in just a moment. Last week we covered this. We looked at Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Don't worry, we're not going to read them all. Ephesians 2, 6. Romans 6, 1 to 7. That one's really good. Actually, they're all good, but you know. Colossians 3, 3 to 4. And we end, oh, Philippians 1. See, that was fun. And then last week we ended on this. This is called the journey of maturing. I want to recap one sentence. Because there are times when you and I may feel emotionally, not living by truth, but living by feeling, a feeling that makes us feel like we are, you know what, not productive. I feel useless in life, not good enough. Kids feel like this often. Because kids, their, their identity in their social world is based on their behavior. It is in our adult world too. It's terrible. But that's the law in the world system, not the system of Jesus Christ. Here it is. As we grow in our understanding of our Heavenly Father, where is it here? As we know Jesus better, His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. As you know Him better, do you want to know Him better? Don't nod your head or put your hand up or anything like that because the answer can only come from within. The answer comes from Christ in you. Do you want to know Jesus better? And somewhere in you, there's going to be a yes. That's His voice. And then part of you may hear, well, actually, not really. Because if I do know him better, then I have some changes to make. That voice is not your voice. That's a deceptive voice that does not come from your true identity. You get to reject that voice. Not every thought you have is your own. You got to be very wary of people who say, I'm just speaking my mind. Not everything in your mind has been filtered and processed and, and kept in balance. Or as, as, uh, as scripture says, take every thought captive. Processes. Is this from Christ or not? Let's dig into some fun. Here we go. Galatians 2.20. Typically, this is the verse you've heard before. If you've never heard it, this is a declaration of what's happened to you. Do you want to know who you are? I'm going to tell you who you are. If you don't know who you are, this will be a start. Here it goes. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This verse, in faith in the Son of God, is not a correct translation. The King James Bible got it right. Even though I don't read the King James because it's not the language of our day. In fact, the preface to the King James Bible says that this Bible was translated so that the people of our day would have something to understand in their language. Oh, isn't that funny? How many more translations do we have so we have something in our language? So anyway, pretty fun. But they got it right in the King James. And it says here, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Whose faith do you live by? You live by the faith of Christ. You don't have to muster up faith. This one implies I live by faith in the Son of God. There is an implication that I have to work up my faith or grow my faith, maintain my faith. Heck, you can't even do that with your salvation. What makes you think you can do it with faith? Your faith is a gift to you. A pure gift from God. Any belief you have comes from Him. He is the revealer. He does it from the light shining through you. If you're an unbeliever, you still have light. The light of Christ shining through you. Whether you like it or not. So when the revelation comes, it comes from within. Powerful. We've, we've talked about that here many times. The message has a wonderful translation. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Wow. Christ lives in me. Period. Period. <laughs> the life you see me living is not mine. But it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you can still pull out, the way it's written there, is lived by faith in the Son of God. You can still take it the correct way. But I've grown up in religion, so for me, I constantly need to point out it's not a self-made faith. It's the faith of Christ. In fact, the Young's literal translation says, I live by, get this, Son of God faith. I love that. So who is this faith dependent on? Not you. What's your role? Response. Your responsibility is to respond to the love of Christ as he reveals it to you. My encouragement is, believe. Because none of this is any good until you believe. You must believe. Scripture is super clear about that. There has to be a moment of belief. There has to be a, a, a place and a time where you will acknowledge the faith that God is giving you and say, okay, I believe this. I receive it. And watch the transformation that will happen in your mind, in your body. God does all that. It's a journey. Next one. The simple gospel. Acts 17 to 28, 27 to 28 says this. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from some of us, any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, and he's quoting Zeus, by the way. Having said, we are his offspring. This is the Apostle Paul speaking at the uh, Mars Hill. 
And is he speaking to believers or unbelievers in this place? Anybody know? Unbelievers. Because he knows something about how God works. Since all Christ is in all things, and Christ holds all things together, and all, listen to this part, all of creation is in Christ. Therefore, God is not far from anybody. <laughs> You're inside. You can be in there and not believe and reject the love that is fully yours. And people do it all the time. And it's hell. It really is. Try hugging your teenager who does not want to be hugged. <laughs> to them, it's hell. <laughs> the message says this. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race. He made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God. Not just... And not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. Peek-a-boo, move here. Ooh, I moved. No, he doesn't do that. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him. Can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well. We're the God created. I like Romans 1, 28, I think it is. Oh, shoot. Um, I say it all the time. Okay. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, angels or demons. Listen carefully to those words. Heaven or hell. Nothing can separate us from his love. It's a pure impossibility. It's good news. What I grew up learning about the gospel was not good news. It was only good news for a few people who happened to believe, and even then they didn't seem too happy. Today, I want to teach good news for all people so that all may believe. Not everybody believes, but I want them to because when they hear the good news of our Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I have yet to see people reject that. But I have seen people reject a God that doesn't even exist. An angry one. Misunderstood. Sold to the world through religion. That's not the Jesus Christ I believe in. Because when Jesus showed up, he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to reveal the Father to you because you got it wrong all this time. It's a powerful picture. Next one. The simple gospel. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile some things to Himself. Is that what it says? He says, reconcile all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross. Therefore, we celebrate communion. That's why we're doing this. We're celebrating the reconciliation that happened at the cross. Through him, I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were, 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 were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through, when did it happen? At his death. That's when it happened. In order to present you before him holy and blameless, beyond reproach, 
If indeed you continue in faith firmly established and steadfast, do not be, do, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. There is good news. The gospel isn't, all this stuff will happen to you if you believe. No. The gospel is, all this has happened. Therefore, believe. Because if you do, everything changes. If it doesn't, you will experience hell. But we're going to cover that this fall. <laughs> we're going to talk about hell. Because that was one of the subjects you guys asked for. So come on, teach something on hell. Okay. <laughs> Let's turn up the temperature. <laughs> Make a squirm. <laughs> But I'd like to deal with some myths and misunderstandings of what people have thought hell to be and share my journey of what I have come to believe it is. But not today. All right. <laughs> Colossians, another translation. You've got to do this. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. That's all I want to do for that one. Your heavenly Father is above all things, in things, all through things, in all creation, above everyone. Nobody is absent from Him. They can feel absent. But that's only a feeling. It's not a fact. Their subjective experience makes it seem like God is distant. But the reality is, He is there. Factually, He's there. Next one. Here's a quote from Francois Dutrois. He says, We do not end up in Christ. We are in Him to begin with. There is no gospel in a message that does not reveal this. Hear it carefully. Don't think I'm running over to universalism that, ooh, everybody's in Christ. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Everyone's in Christ. But not everybody believes. Because all of creation is in Christ. That's the fact I'm coming from. I'm, whole, I'm coming from the place of He holds all things together. All of creation is in Him. By that fact, we're not talking about the experience of believing and now fully, uh, the life of Christ fully flowing through. No. Not everybody has that. But nevertheless, they begin in Him. Where does that start? How do I know this? Take a look at this. Ephesians 1, 3-5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ, even before he made the world. What? It, it says that. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. Time and space. Wow. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That's cool. We get to find out what pleases God. That he drew us to himself. That gives him pleasure. And when you get to believe it, there is a mutual pleasure the joy of knowing your Heavenly Father and Him knowing you and let that relationship grow. Next. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. 
Whoa, that's a serious declaration, folks. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Oh my goodness. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast, boast only about the Lord. Because everything that you are experiencing in this life, anything positive, anything, that's Jesus. Anything that says, hey, I've, I've come out of a great crippling story and I'm, I'm now healed. That's Jesus. You couldn't have done that on your own. It's an impossibility. Even for those unbelievers, people who do not believe in Jesus, he's still working in people to heal them whether they believe or not. He's still the source. They just don't recognize it. There's a difference. Like this one from the message. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. <laughs> Charismatic church can take care of that one. All right. And from the mirror translation, of God's doing are we in Christ. He is both the genesis and genius of our wisdom. A wisdom that reveals how righteous, sanctified, and redeemed we already are in Him. He is our claim to fame. That's pretty cool. Next one. John 14, 20. Again, simple gospel. What does the Bible say? Can't make a twist to say what you want it to. Let's take a look at what it says. Now, let the Holy Spirit confirm what is true. Some of you may have read these verses in a different context and see it differently. That's fine. I'm sharing with you the journey that I've come through now. This is the gospel I see and believe. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Christ lives in you. That was the secret. Secret to the Gentiles. <laughs> Imagine that. Christ is in you. Not only are, is he in you, you're in him. Oh, wait. There's another layer. Christ is in God. They're one. You're in union with Jesus Christ. He's not you. You're not a God. Because if you were a God, you'd be independent, self-source, and self-sustaining. Right? How's it going? I don't think so. There's only one God, and you're not it. Here we go. And the message. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back in just a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I am alive and you're about to come alive. At that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father and that you're in me and I'm in you. That is Jesus talking. This is like good stuff. Next one. Simple gospel. He died. I died. He was buried. I was buried. He rose. I rose. He ascended, I ascended. Christ is my life. Folks, some of us don't even know we died. Pinch, pinch, ouch! Obviously I'm alive. No, the real you. Your spiritual nature. Remember, you're a spiritual person having a human experience. That's really important to know that. You are spiritual. You don't need to be religious. Just be spiritual. Because that is what you are. A spirit. And Christ has given you His life. He is the source of your life. One cannot give a rational answer for irrational love. People question this all the time. How can God love me that much? And You need to explain to me. I need to understand who God is. I've got to understand this gospel properly. It needs to make sense on paper first. No, it doesn't. 
That's your journey, though. Divine love can only be divinely imparted, and He will divinely impart the revelation that you are loved. This is critical. As we move into communion, I want to show you a clip. It's about four minutes long, I think. It's Paul Young, author of The Shack, talking about the cross. He says it better than me, so might as well let him say it. But it's a great challenge to that cry of Jesus when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to keep hitting this one often because communion is a big deal. It is a revelation and a declaration of faith of what we believe, but in it we also have more revelation. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us even more as we participate. I don't know how all that works, but it does. I don't have to get it all to believe it, but I believe it. Let's see what he says. Lights out and sound on. Hmm. Can we have volume? Pretty please? Are we ready? Are you kidding me? Read his lips. Really? Okay. This is too important to skip it. So, Ben, how good are you in the computer? Okay, go to the video folder and play the video file directly and move it over to the screen. I'll tell you why this is important. This is a huge reason why many unbelievers continue to not believe. Or, when we hear people fall away from their faith, have you heard that? I don't believe in God anymore. This is part of it. They're having a hard time believing Jesus is who He says He is. And even worse, they have a hard time believing God is who Jesus says He is. Let's take a look at this. As soon as it's ready, hit play. Please work. It's okay, there's no secrets. Are we coming? Almost there? If not, we have to do it another day, but that's too bad. Oh, yes. It's, it's deep, so listen carefully. Really listen carefully. Oh, you're kidding me. Okay. Why have you forsaken me? Oh, yes. Why? This is Jesus who has never known a moment of his existence where he couldn't feel or sense the presence of the Father until now. And why now? That's my cry. Mine. Where are you? Can't feel you, can't sense you. Where are you? Jesus becomes sin. Not just as a category, but mine. All my sense of brokenness. What if the good news is not that we now can receive Jesus into our lives? What if the good news is that Jesus has received us into His life? Into His anointing in the Holy Spirit? Into His relationship with the Father? 
but he cries out, where are you? Why? Because he can't sense the affection and the presence. But what does he then do? I give you what I have. Into your hands I commit my spirit. If, for a second, Jesus believed that his father had abandoned him and left him, he would have never said, I give you my spirit, my breath. I can't feel you, I can't sense you, but I know you. And what do I know? You do not despise the affliction of the afflicted, nor will you turn your face from him. <laughs> and when I cry, you'll hear. Psalm 22. This is a God of relentless affection. And Paul the Apostle in Corinthians writes, answering the question, where was God the Father when Jesus was on the cross? And this is what he writes. For God, Papa, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. This is the kind of God who takes the basin, washes our feet in a room full of human agendas, this is a God who climbs into our stuff that we bring to the table and submits himself to it. You know the cross was never God's idea, but was fully anticipated. The cross is a dark torture device. It is the way to keep a human being alive as long as possible and as much pain as possible. That is darkness. The cross did not originate in God. We brought it to the table. And part of the beauty of what God does is he climbs into the most destructive machine that human beings have ever created and he climbs into it and he transforms it into an icon and a monument of grace. So much so that we would wear it around our necks and it would be precious to us. Only God who can climb into your world and all the stuff that you bring to the table and without condemnation, without guilt, but who wants to be a burning fire like any parent wants to destroy any lie that exists in their children, he is out to destroy everything in your world that keeps you from being free. But he won't do it in a way that is a violation of you. This is the God who loves us. This is Papa who picks us up and wraps us up and says, I've been inside your stuff the whole time. And you're the one I left the 99 to come find. You matter. This is the God who loves us. This is the God that Jesus is saying. Look, you need to know about my Father. Nobody knows the Father, so come to me. Relentless affection that is so powerful that you are not more powerful. This is a God who loves you by nature and who will pursue you. Hmm. How well do you know your daddy? How well do you know this Jesus you say you believe in? Great questions. 
don't ever stop being teachable. Don't be gullible. Just because I show you a video clip or teach, can't believe everything I say, you have to trust the Holy Spirit to confirm. And you know me by now, I don't do fake. I can only share what I believe. I may not be able to explain everything just perfectly. Sorry. But I am bringing you the authentic Jesus, the one I'm discovering more and more. And I promise you, he's getting better and better than I ever dreamed of. Less and less religious. In fact, not religious at all. I have a hard time with that sometimes. <laughs> so today, as we celebrate this communion, if you can invite the kids in. <laughs> Folks, this celebration of communion is to put something in your hands so you can feel and touch. Why? Listen to this. This is important. Why do you need something in your hand? You are physical. Let me give you an Old Testament picture. Now, you'll hear me teach on this later. And when I do, I'm going to have a great excitement. I talked to Ken, uh, Ken Gregory in the car about this. In the book of Daniel, there's a story of a prophecy of King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he has a dream. He can't remember what it is. And so he calls his, his seers and guys. He says, hey guys, I had a dream. I can't remember it. So tell me what my dream is and interpret it. And if you don't, I'll kill you. No pressure. In this dream, I won't tell you the whole part, but in this dream, there's the statue with all these emblems, there's gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then clay and iron toes, ten toes. Here's the best part. A rock from uncut hands. Like no, no, no human hands have cut this. It was a divinely cut rock comes and smashes the ten feet and destroys the statue. Do you sort of remember the image now? The key is this, the rock of uncut hands from human hands. It is a picture of a rock being physical in our world and uncut by human hands is spiritual. Jesus came as a man. That rock is Jesus Christ, by the way, if you didn't catch that. That is Jesus, the rock who comes to set up his kingdom and it will cover the entire earth of a kingdom that will never end. You're going to have fun with that one when I teach on that. that that's like, whoa. Yeah, it'll be fun. But here's the key. Physical. When we hold these elements, it's a physical element to remind us that Jesus is still human, the man, and still God. And as we eat and drink, we are declaring we trust that Jesus, when he said to take this, do this in remembrance of me, we're going to remember whatever he chooses for us to remember at that time. So today, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. It was unleavened, not fluffy and big like this. But he took it and he broke it. Mm. And he said this, here it is. This is the generosity of Jesus. And if Jesus is generous, so is his daddy. I give this to you. My body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the declaration of the body of Christ. Bread. Sustenance. All of our needs that we need. Everybody needs bread. Even those who don't like bread.
Just kidding. You need bread to sustain. That was the, this was the symbol of physical sustenance. And he's saying, I am your bread. Here comes the best part. You're welcome. <laughs> the best part is a new covenant. You don't see it anywhere else in Scripture until this moment. Here it is. Old covenant, new covenant. Jesus is declaring a new one. Making the old one obsolete. Although not completely gone yet until 70 AD when the temple was fully destroyed. That's when the end of the law system came. For the record. But the new covenant started. It's very much like when David and Saul were kings at the same time. Saul was king, he screwed up, and then David became king, but he didn't become king for another 20, 30 years, whatever it was. There was a parallel going on. In the same way, this is happening. But the new covenant rules. No more performance-based acceptance. Your father completely accepts you. Fully. And loves you. He likes you even. Imagine that. I'm glad about that. There are days I don't feel likable. But he changes my mind. I can't live from feelings. I have to live by truth. The truth of Christ in me. So when you drink today, the blood poured out on the cross. It was man that killed Jesus on the cross. I think it was Peter who even said this. You killed Jesus. You guys did it. Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It happened at this time when the blood was shed. So when you drink today, remember, we're under a new covenant now. That's good news, and good news for everybody. Is that good? That's good.